Refugia, a podcast about renewal. Refugia are places of shelter where life endures in times of crisis. From out of these small sanctuaries, life re-emerges and the world is renewed. We're exploring what it means for people of faith to be people of Refugia. How can we create safe places of flourishing, micro-countercultures where we gain strength and spiritual capacity to face the challenges ahead? I'm Deborah Reinstra, professor of English at Calvin University, and this is Refugia. We need to also think about what nurtures us, what sustains us in this in this refugium work, uh, and then to also think about, okay, how do we how do we take this? How do we become that little seed that then, once uh, we have the opportunity, we go out from our refugium and we start to change the world. Hi everyone, thanks for listening. This is the very first episode of the Refugia podcast, and I'm so pleased to be exploring this evocative concept of Refugia with you and with the people I'm interviewing. My guests are all great people from a variety of fields, all of them connected one way or another with Calvin University. Of course, our conversations are just the beginning. I'm hoping that as you listen to this podcast while driving or making dinner or otherwise going about your business, You'll find these conversations inspiring and thought-provoking, and that you can take this concept of refugia and continue to explore it in your own context. This is a podcast ultimately about watching for places where God is working at renewal of the earth, of the church, culture, society. And it's also about seeking how we might participate willingly and courageously in that divine work. In this first episode, my colleague Dave Cucci and I lay the groundwork with some definitions. Again, thanks for listening. Here we go. Hey, Dave. Hey, how are you? Thanks for being here today. You bet. So explain where we are. We're on Calvin's campus. Where are we? We are in a little conference room um, adjacent to the greenhouse. And so behind us here, you can see all of these wonderful uh, tropical plants. Uh-huh. Do you our have favorites? Little, our own little refugia here. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard a rumor that the greenhouse is um, where our colleague Dave Warner's rescues abandoned plants. Is that true? He does. He rescues abandoned plants. Uh, he's also been known to sneak a few from different places uh, and put them back into the greenhouse. Oh, I see. Yeah. So he steals them from... Places like places. the English department lobby? Uh, no. Okay. No, far, farther away places. <laughs> so what do you teach at Calvin, Dave? I teach a lot of the introductory biology courses, mm-hmm. uh, things like uh, a course, Biology 123, Living Systems is mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Um, I teach a lot of cell and molecular biology courses, cell biology and genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I teach an upper-level course that's called uh, Global Health, Environment, and Sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of the, the main areas of my teaching, but from time to time I'll do the senior seminar course and so as well. Mm-hmm. So you've also been intrigued with this idea of refugia. Very much so. Can you tell us how the term is used in biology? That seems to be the origin of its yeah. popularity right now. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it comes out of thinking about evolutionary history and um, looking especially at things like uh, at the end of the last uh, ice age, there were little pockets of uh, plants and animals that uh, began to kind of populate and, and repopulate the, the glaciated, the formerly glaciated areas as the glaciers were receding. 
And it did so rather quickly. Um, and they began to explore, well, why was that? Um, and, and, and that's where this little idea of refugia comes from because they said, oh, well, there were these little pockets of semi-protected areas that continued to thrive even as these glaciers um, you know, were receding and, um, and, and became the areas that, uh, that from which a lot of life um, you know, evolved uh, from that point on. Um, and it's also a, a big topic now, especially with related to climate change. And right. so thinking a lot about uh, what little pockets of plant and animal life uh, are in more protected zones that when the climate changes pretty dramatically uh, over the next cent couple centuries, um, what are some areas that might be more protected from which uh, life can uh, continue to thrive? Do we know what some of those areas might be at this point? Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of refugia uh, that ecologists talk about. Uh, that has to do with, um, think of like in mountainous areas, there's lots of different slopes to the land. So land that has a southern slope is going to be far more uh, exposed to uh, harsh conditions, whereas lands on the northern slope, lands in small valleys that are more protected, those are areas that um, they're, they're considering those as refugia, uh, where um, you know, the, con the, the current diversity can continue to thrive there, even as things change all around them to the point where you know, that same diversity can't, can't survive. Can human beings help these refugia so one to of be the, created and to yeah, be sustained. Exactly. One of the big questions right now with climate change is how fast is it going to happen? Mm -hmm. And um, how can we predict where the best places of refugia are going to be? Um, so, so using a lot of different modeling kinds of things right now to say, you know, what are the environmental conditions that this particular community of species needs? And then where do we expect to find that environment um, thriving in, in, you know, the, over the next couple of centuries? Um, and how do we anticipate um, not only, you know, things that will uh, continue to thrive, but uh, conditions that um, will persist even when the, the surrounding conditions change pretty dramatically? So this idea is compelling to you, perhaps, for ecological reasons. It's compelling for ecological reasons, but that's not what, what I think really kind of caught my eye when you wrote your blog a while ago, mm -hmm. and you said, you know, we should, as a church, think about what it means to be people of refugia. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And to me, I thought immediately of all of these different things that are happening around us, uh, things that th seem to threaten us in so many different ways, uh, things that uh, we sometimes feel like, you know, we don't recognize mm. our society anymore. And I thought, you know, we need to find places of refugia uh, for our souls as well. Yeah. Places where we can continue to receive that, um, you know, the, that, that life-giving nourishment and that water, <laughs> spiritual yeah. water, that will continue to enable us to thrive spiritually even when there seems to be so much change and so much uh, that threatens us. Yeah. So one of the things I'm trying to 
think about is the distinction between refugia and other kinds of escape or yeah. a kind of bunker mentality. Yeah. So how would you distinguish what we mean by refugia compared to those other things? It's not the same as going to see a movie or no. binge watching <laughs> Netflix or, <laughs> or no. hiding oneself in a cabin with a bunch of guns or right. some other you know, bunch oh, of I hope organic arugula, <laughs> right. whatever your choice right. is. So what, it, what is it about refugia that's a distinctive idea? To me, what's exciting about refugia is that um, there's a lot of work to do within refugia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a place where you um, where you bunker down and uh, and try to defend yourself against everything that's happening. Uh, things are going to happen, and refugia are. I see them as welcoming places. Mm -hmm. I see them as places where. Um, there's an intentional nurturing of relationships that have to continue to thrive. And I see them as places where, um, where honest renewal can happen. And, um, and, and I think that's true biologically. I think it's also true in the sense that we're talking about. Yeah. I've been using the, the phrase micro countercultures. Yeah. They're uh, little, not Edenic places, but places leaning into the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Where, and they're not meant to be permanent. No. They're meant to be no. places of shelter temporarily and then places that actually spread. Yeah. Where are you finding those right now? You find them in biology uh, in places where uh, natural disasters have happened. Um, so, you know, Kathleen Dean Moore talks about this in her book, you know, with the um, eruption of Mount St. Helens that occurred in 1980 and how uh, there's this, this blast zone of total devastation. And I remember seeing it shortly after that and, and just being completely blown away by, you know, how much force and heat there must have been there. And, uh, and I remember thinking uh, and I remember reading at the time that biologists, ecologists were thinking, yeah, it would be decades mm -hmm. before life returns to those areas. And within a period of five, six, seven years, suddenly life was springing all over the place. And, um, and what they discovered is that there were these tiny little refugia, micro-refugia, of, of protected areas that when the trees blew over in the blast, uh, they protected uh, small areas that uh, became these little wellsprings little of mosses, new life. Yeah. Little mushrooms. Yeah. Little and, voles. And even, yeah, exactly. Little, little birdies. Voles, everything <laughs> coming back just all of a sudden, wow, yeah. just blooming like a, like a garden. It's still not old growth. Oh, no. Which it used to be. Right. So that'll take a few hundred years. Yes, it will, but... You know. But it, life is resilient. Life is extremely resilient. Mm -hmm. I remember them, you know, planning that, oh, we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to plant all these trees and so on and so forth. You know, hundreds of thousands of acres of, of trees. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's some private land owned by Weyerhaeuser where they did a lot of those kinds of things. But what surprised everybody was the fact that even now when you go there, there's a lot of young trees that are mm -hmm. all over the place. The forest is coming back mm -hmm. with a vengeance. I remember when Bill McKibben was here for the Festival of Faith and Writing, one of the things he said in his plenary talk that has stayed with me um, is that if we, if we move toward, he, he didn't use this word, but if we move toward creating refugia, 
the world will meet us halfway. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was a, a stunning thing to ponder. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking, where mm -hmm. are you finding refugia of the spirit? Um, I'm finding refugia of the spirit uh, certainly within uh, you know within my department with my colleagues here mm -hmm. at Calvin. Uh, there's a there's a these are tough days to be a biologist. There's a lot of yeah. bad news that we have mm -hmm. to deal with in in my discipline. You know with living within the, the sixth mass extinction on the planet and mm -hmm. recognizing that this is largely human-induced. And, um, and yet, um, my colleagues are, are people of hope. And I find that, um, that we thrive together because we, we have this faith underpinning that helps us to see beyond the immediate. And to be able to recognize that, yes, even though things might seem dire in many cases, um, yet uh, God is sovereign. And, and what does that really mean for us? And, and even though we don't know exactly what the future will hold, we recognize that you know, God is here with us. And, and, and so our, our job then is to be a place of refugia for our students. And I'm trying to think about what does that mean yeah. within my classroom as well. Yeah, you mentioned teaching this upper-level environmental studies class and uh, working through some of these concepts and, and issues and finding your students become droopier and more melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been thinking about how to create refugia in the course. Exactly. Could you tell us what you're, what you're thinking well, about a little what bit? Well, I'm, what I'm currently thinking is that uh, I want them to think about their environment, the environment that they call home. And of course, our students come from all over the planet. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to give them a heads up before, the, before they leave to come here and say, you know, take some snapshots of the places that you call home and, and the creatures that live there. And let's bring that into the classroom. This is your refugia. Mm -hmm. And this is your place. And you're surrounded by these other creatures that are your companions, your sojourners. And, and let's think about, you know, what it is that um, enables life to thrive within a refugium. Uh, let's think also about um, what are some practices that we can, that we can inhabit um, that uh, within our classroom space allow us to lament allow, and, and to do that well. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't think we really know too much about how to lament well. We haven't worked on it hard in our worship, which no. is where we would learn that. And that's something I've thought about over the years, too, as I work with my husband, who's a worship pastor. Um, but one of, the, one of the places we learn how to lament is in worship. Yes. And some of us have learned that there and some of us haven't, depending on our yeah. home churches. Yeah. But that's it. It's not obvious. It's not obvious, and I think mm -hmm. you know. So we need to practice that. We need to also um, think about what nurtures us, what sustains us in this in this refugium work, mm -hmm. uh, and then to also think about okay, then how do we how do we take this? How do we become that little seed? Mm. That then once uh, we have the opportunity, we go out from our refugium and we start to change the world. Yeah. And what does that look like? And that's where I'm really excited about this because I think, yeah, there are little kernels of things that we know that we can do to be a more sustainable uh, society. And, um, you know, 
I think this generation of students are A, going to have to deal with some very uh, challenging kinds of issues, the likes of which we've never seen before. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I want to give them the kind of tools to be able to say, yes, I can do this. And collectively, uh, there are things that we can do to become a more sustainable society that um, that lives within the means of the planet, not, you know, right now, if you look at what our what the average uh, American footprint is, you would need something like five or six planet Earths to be able to live the way we live. But we don't have that. Yeah. And so how do we live within our means? Mm -hmm. And I think this generation of students is going to have to learn how to solve that kind of a question. Yeah. Um, because the world that they will inhabit and inherit from us is a world that, uh, A, on the one hand, is scary to them and to us, but it's, it's also a place of hope. Um, and I want to show them, remind them of passages from Scripture because God uses remnants a lot. And I think these remnants could be uh, considered like these little refugia. Yeah. And to be able to say, okay, how do we nurture that? Even though the people of Israel were exiled, yet there was this remnant mm -hmm. where you know, God continued to work with them even in yeah. their away place. Or the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. That's a perfect yeah. example, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. So in the Reformed tradition, we have, um, sometimes we, we have a kind of um, over-ambitious triumphalism mm. where we're <laughs> yes. thinking all the time about being transformers of culture. On the other hand, we have this abject humility yeah. about our helplessness and our need for... We're not a bunch, are Utter we? need for grace. It's very confusing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have both of those in paradox. I wonder how the idea of refugia fits into that theological tension. Yeah. Um, first of all, a refugium is not... I don't see it as a place of triumphalism at all. Mm -hmm. It's a very humble place. Mm. Uh, it's a place where you are learning what it means to live within your means. Because a refugium is small. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, the whole world isn't a refugium. Mm -hmm. A refugium is a little pocket. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so how do you live within your means in that little pocket? And, then, uh, and, and to do so requires intense humility. It's a place of relearning. It's a place of relearning. Mm. But it's also a place of, of great hope. Not hope in as much what you or what even the, a community can accomplish on their own power, but what God can accomplish where, um, well, in systems theory, there's ideas called emergent properties, you know, mm -hmm. where, where a, a system is always greater than the sum of its parts. And, uh, and a refugium is a, is a system. And, uh, and I think there's a spiritual dimension to that where especially um, people living in a refugium kind of community um, can certainly be agents of renewal that are way beyond mm -hmm. their own ability, even their own yeah. collective ability. Yeah. God is there. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, there's a power that... Um, that works through their, their community that is way beyond the power that they have as human beings. Wonderful. One of the things I appreciate about teaching here at Calvin is that all my colleagues in all the disciplines yeah. uh, are always thinking theologically too. 
Yeah, I mean, this is what animates us. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it gives us hope. Yeah. Um, so for you right now, what, where do you go for your refugia? Oh, several places. Um, <laughs> one is church. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's crucial to be in a community of believers that is uh, a nurturing place, but also a place that's constantly looking out. Uh, and, and our church, you know, Church of the Servant, oh. has a very uh, global um, perspective on the world. And, uh, and yet we're very down to earth <laughs> and we're very focused on, you know, what does it mean to be um, people of social justice, people of peace, people of love, mm. um, that, uh, that we can practice that within a local community as well. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a deep place of refugia for me. Mm. Um, another one is um, our own ecosystem preserve here on campus. There are different days when I've, I'm struggling with some things, uh, things that happen. Um, I've had days where I've lost colleagues. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, you know, one of the places I often go to is the ecosystem preserve and just take a walk and let, let the other creatures speak to me mm -hmm. as I'm um, grieving or as I'm... Uh, dealing with anger or whatever. Mm -hmm. You, you know. used the term companions and sojourners. Yes, very earlier. much so. Yeah, yeah. I, I see myself as being always part of a greater whole. Mm. Um, and so I try to live in a way where I'm, I'm conscious of that as much as I can be um, and, and to try to be a citizen and plain member so to speak, of, of, of that place. Yeah. Dave, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. It's yeah. been fun. Thank you. This has been Refugia, a podcast about renewal. Find us on the web at refugiapodcast.com and leave us a comment. Send us your ideas about what Refugia means for you. You can also find me, Deborah Reenstra, on Facebook and Twitter at Deborah K. Reenstra.